We're finishing the book of Thessalonians this morning, 2 Thessalonians. Give you a little background. Remember, 2 Thessalonians was uh, uh, written to the small church that Paul started in Greece. Uh, uh, ushers are coming forward. The Bible's in the Bible. Just raise your hand. They'll get you some, some Bibles. Now, uh, it's interesting. What we're going to see today is Paul's final words to the Thessalonians. We're going to see Paul give final exhortations to this church. And you say, what does that have to do with us? Well, all Scripture, according to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is inspired by God. In other words, it says God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, so, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. So what we're seeing in these exhortations are exhortations not only for the first century Thessalonians, but the 21st century Christians that we are today. Because all Scripture, God breathed, God breathed, inspired by God. It's breathed by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it's for us today also. Interesting, Thessalonica, where this was written to, was, was a major city in the Roman Empire. At the time of Paul's writing, it was 200,000 people. And, and today, still today, I've been told that Thessalonica in Greece is still a major metropolitan city. Not 200,000 people today, it's a million people today. Why? Because it's a port city. And, and, and what happened from the first century on is, is ships would be coming in and out and doing business and commerce. It was a city that was filled with business and commercial activity, a lot of people, a lot of immorality, a lot of idols. Sounds kind of like America, doesn't it? A lot of business, a lot of prosperity, a lot of commercial stuff going on in our country, but a lot of immorality and a lot of idols, too, in our, in our culture today. So these exhortations work for the Thessalonians, they'll work for us also. Now, a little back, background on Thessalonians. Um, Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians in response to a report he got back from Timothy. Paul is on a second missionary journey, started the church there three Sabbath days, and then after three Sabbath days, he was run out of town. And he had to leave after four weeks, many scholars think, and he left the church and then went on to the second missionary journey, landed in Corinth. And then when he got to Corinth, about a year later, he was concerned about these believers, young believers in Thessalonica. So he sent Timothy back to check on the believers there. Timothy comes back to Paul in Corinth and says, Paul, the church there is it's exploding, it's doing great. As Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he said that there's the, the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ was ringing forth from the Thessalonians, all over Macedonia, northern Greece, Greece, and southern Greece, Achaia, all over the nation of Greece, they were talking about these Thessalonians that, that got saved, and, and not only got saved, but they turned from idols to serve the living and the true God. Revival was happening in Thessalonica. And so Paul wrote First Thessalonians back to them to give them some more exhortations, some more instruction, and then to also clarify things, because it was a year later, and some people had died in the church, and they're concerned about what Paul taught about the rapture, they thought the people that died in that one-year period were going to miss the rapture. So Paul explained to them in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 18, no, 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 no. What's going to happen at the rapture is the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And if their spirit's already in heaven, their spirits will be reunited at the rapture with their dead bodies. And the mortal will become immortal and the perishable will become imperishable. He explained that to them. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, he went on to explain, and then after the rapture, the day of the Lord's going to kick in, the great tribulation. Now, Paul wrote this second letter, we talked about this before, because they got messed up with the great tribulation too. They, because of some persecution was hitting the church, which was talked about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, with the persecution, they thought, we're in the great tribulation. 
And so they were freaking out about being in the Great Tribulation. Then Paul cleared it up last week. Remember what he said last week? He said there's three signs that must be in place for you to be in the Great Tribulation. Number one, he said the church has to go apostate. Full-on apostasy, where the church leaves all biblical doctrine, becomes a universal church under the Antichrist, and they just go apostate. Number two, he said after that, then the Antichrist is going to come on the scene, the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. A world leader is going to have to come on the scene who's going to be a world leader economically, politically, and religiously. The Great Tribulation can't be full force unless they have the world leader who's called the man of lawlessness, son of destruction, the Antichrist. And then we saw last week, too, the, the Antichrist is going to rebuild a temple in Jerusalem. And then he's going to put his image in this temple, and he's going to have the whole world worship him. And that's a sign you're in the Great Tribulation. And then we also saw last week that the, uh, the third sign of the Great Tribulation is the restrainer is going to be gone. We talked about last week the restrainer, I believe, is the Holy Spirit working through the church. Now, how is that going to be gone in the world? Rapture. And the rapture must happen first, where we get raptured out of here, caught up in the clouds to be with Christ, and then the world is going to go to literal hell. Because Christians are going to be gone. Can you imagine this world without the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church? Can you imagine this world with all, with millions of, all the millions of Christians around the world, shoo, raptured out of here, gone. It's going to go from bad to rotten, isn't it? Now, Paul's going to address the last issue that he wrote 2 Thessalonians for today, and that's, that's the issue we're going to see of some of these Christians, while they, were, while they were waiting for the return of Christ, they thought they were in the Great Tribulation, they thought the return of Christ was going to happen suddenly and soon, and so they just quit their jobs and stopped working. And so Paul uses this last chapter to give some exhortations to the Christians there in Thessalonica. With that background in mind, let's jump in. If you're there, say amen. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, or chapter 3, verse 1. Look what he says. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, so that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. See what Paul's saying, first of all? He's saying, Christians in Thessalonica, be praying for us. Be praying for us. And notice what he asked for prayer for. Does he ask for prayer that, they, that he might get a villa in Greece on the beach and just have prosperity? Does he ask for his own betterment? No, what does he ask for? Pray for us that the word of the Lord may continue to spread rapidly. Another version says, run swiftly. Another version says, speed ahead. And pray for us that the word of God might be glorified as it did with you. And pray for us that we might be delivered from the spiritual warfare that we face with evil and perverse men that are opposing the ministry of Jesus Christ. You see what he was praying for? He wasn't praying for himself. He's pray for the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves as in spiritual leaders for Jesus Christ. Now, now listen, I've been in the ministry for 30-some years. And what I've seen from day one in the ministry doing anything with the Word of God, if you're doing anything with helping to spread the Word of God swiftly, if you're doing anything to, to bring forth the gospel of Jesus Christ or the Word of God, you're going to face some spiritual warfare. It's part of the deal. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Those are demons. And the demons don't like their darkness being invaded by the light of God's Word. And I remember when I was first starting the ministry, I remember... Um, 
Dr. Dave, my mentor, Bible college professor, took me aside and said, if you're going into the ministry, you need to understand, as you go into the ministry and you bring forth God's word, and as you are, are bringing forth God's word to God's people, there's going to be spiritual warfare. You could count on it. You got a target on your back. And then he told me this. He said, and as your influence spreads and you bring the word of God to more and more people, the target will get bigger. And that's true. I've seen that. And so I ask you, church, here's the first exhortation, by the way. Pray for those in spiritual leadership. Pray for us. And I ask you, church, for the same thing. Pray for Pastor John. Put me on your prayer list. I need your prayers. I wrestle not against flesh. There's there's powers in prison. There is dark forces that don't like how the word of God is spreading rapidly through Calvary Chapel in Lexington, South Carolina. It's just fact. Spiritual warfare. Pray for our pastors, too. Pray for Pastor Steve. You want to talk about spiritual warfare. Wow. He's our U-turn for Christ pastor, and he's helping guys come out of drugs and alcohol and off the streets. There is spiritual warfare every day of the week on this campus with Pastor Steve and and the U-turn leaders. Pray for Pastor Steve and the leadership in U-turn for Christ, and pray, pray for them that they might be delivered from the forces and and, and, and strengthened by God and the forces that are against him and arrayed against U-turn for Christ. Pray for Pastor Mike, our other teaching pastor. Pray for uh, pastor Joe, our administrative pastor, pray for our staff. That's an important thing. Now, why is it important for you to do that? Well, first of all, God's calling you to do that. That's, you're supposed to pray for those in leadership. But second of all, if you want to be effectively ministered to, you need to pray for those people that are ministering to you. Pray for them. Pray for us. I ask you for that. And please, understand that your prayers are powerful and effective. They availeth much. Prayer, we got a saying around here, prayer changes things. And there's a strength and there's a protection and there's a blessing on ministry that comes from y'all praying for it. Prayer. Let's be praying for each other. Amen? And that's the first exhortation right there is pray. Pray for those in spiritual leadership. Now next, next he says in verse 3, second exhortation, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. It isn't that true, church? God is faithful. I love what Paul said to Timothy. Even when we're faithless, God is faithful because he can't deny himself. That's who he is. He's a faithful God. And he's faithful to do what? To strengthen you, protect you. The Bible talks about being hidden under the shadow of God's wings, his protection. We have a, we have a favorite verse around here on this campus, and I love the verse. It's one of my life verses. I can do all things through Christ who gives, us, who gives us strength. The strength and the protection. You know, there's, the Bible makes it clear that God is actively prove, protecting you as Christians. He is. The Bible says in Psalm 91, he's even given angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. He's protecting you. But we got a part to play in that protection and that strengthening. Go on in our, our verses there. After it says he's strengthening and protecting us, we have this confidence in the Lord concerning you that you're doing and will continue to do what we command. And may the Lord, notice, direct your hearts into the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Okay, God's faithful. He will strengthen us. He will protect us. But we got a part to play. You know what the part is? We need to keep doing what we've been taught and commanded to do in God's word. If, if we don't con- continue to stay in a place of obedience, we take ourselves outside of the protection and the strengthening of God. 
And we got to willfully choose each, each day to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow Christ. We got to willfully choose every day to apply Matthew 6.33 that says, Seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And if we don't do that, if we go into a state of willful disobedience, what happens is we take ourselves out of the protection and that care and strengthening of God because we're free will agents. God's not going to force us to stay under his protection or strength. And we go out of that, and I see it all the time. I see Christians all the, all the time on a regular basis. I see Christians willfully choose to go backslidden and go away from the Lord. And you know what happens when Christians go backslidden and stop obeying God's commandments and go back to the world? They get beat up by the devil. The devil has them for lunch. See, in our U-turn program, we see guys that are doing so good. And then they don't like this rule or that rule, and they leave U-turn, and they go back to the world, go back to the drugs, and man, they get hammered out there. But I don't just see it in U-turn. I see it in Christians in the church. See, Christians that willfully decide to go into disobedience, and they just, man, the prince of the power air just has them for lunch. There's a reason why Moses said to God's people, you've got a choice. Life or death, blessing or cursing. And then Moses said this to God's people, for goodness sake, choose life. And then Moses' protege, Joshua, said something similar. He said, you guys, you people of God. You could choose to go back to the world. You go back to the idols. Go back to the false gods. You could choose all those things. But Joshua then said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to, Joshua said, I'm going to choose obedience. I'm going to choose to be a person that stays under the strengthening and the protecting of God by being an obedient follower of God. You know what? That should be our hearts, church. We should have hearts that just say, I'm Every day, I'm going to recommit to being obedient to God's ways and God's word so I could stand under the strengthening and the protecting of God's faithfulness to me. Amen? But there's another thing there. Not only choosing obedience, but there's another thing there. It says, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Going back to verse 4, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Another way we keep ourselves under the strength and the protection of God is not only obedience, but keeping ourselves and directing ourselves into the love of God. How do you do that? We talked about it last week. Spending time in his word, devotionally, spending time in prayer, spending time being committed to being in church where you're worshiping God and allowing God's love to be poured into your heart. And you know what happens then? That love of God directing to your heart, it brings you under the wings of the Father. And it strengthens you and it protects you. Jesus, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If any man abides in me, I'll abide in him. And he will produce much fruit. But what did Jesus say? Apart from me, you could do what? Nothing. I looked that word up, nothing, in the Greek. You know what it means? Nothing! It means nothing. We could do nothing apart from Christ. And if we want to be able be Christians that are strengthened and protected by God's faithfulness. We need to direct our hearts in the love of Christ through regularly, I think daily, spending time in his presence, spending time praying, spending time directing ourselves into his love. Because Romans chapter 5 verse 5 tells us that 
God, his hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given to us. I love that. I love what we did this morning with, with just the worship. I don't know about you, but I just felt like this picture of God's love was being poured into my heart. And that's the way it's supposed to be. As we worship him, we spend time in his presence. He's got this big picture of love, and we have hearts that are just getting filled with his love. And there's a strengthening, there's a protecting as we put ourselves in that position of sitting under his love like a fountain, just pouring his love into our hearts. Strength, protection in that. And that's the second exhortation. So the second exhortation is stay under God's protection and strengthening by keeping yourselves in a place of obedience and keeping yourself in a place of closeness to Christ where he can pour his love into your heart. And again, it's a choice. God doesn't force obedience on us. We have to make a decision on a daily basis. I'm going to walk this day in such a way that I'm going to choose God's way and not the world's way. I'm going to choose life instead of death. I'm going to choose blessing instead of cursing because I'm going to choose to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness today. And it'll bless, it'll bless you. It'll strengthen you. It'll protect you. Now it goes on in verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life, not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. No, notice the word, follow our example. Because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor do we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we didn't have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves notice as a what? Model for you that you, again, repeated here, that you may follow our example. Now, Paul's broaching the subject of what's going on in the church. What's going on in the church is that there's people that are being lazy Christians. What they're doing is they are they're, they're basically saying, hey, Christ is returning soon. He's, the rapture is going to happen soon, so we quit our jobs. We're not going to work. We're just going to sponge off the church and have the church pay our bills. And what does Paul say about that? No! Work while you're waiting. Get back to work. And he actually says, stay aloof from these people that are leading unruly life. And not only that, he says this. He says, follow our example. And our example is when we were with you, we were working night and day. And what Paul was doing while he was in Thessalonica, he was making tents. That was his job. He was, his his uh, 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 trade was making tents. He was working hard making tents. And then when he wasn't making tents, he was preaching to them. Night and day he was working. And Paul says, follow our example in this. Don't get brought into this end-time theology of just stopping work and just waiting. Now, careful with this. He doesn't say if someone's disabled, they should be working. He doesn't say if someone's in a crisis that's lost their job, we should have this stay away from this person because they're not working. No, we should be, as a church be helping them. And we do that on a regular basis, by the way. If you come here on a Tuesday or Thursday to the church office, you'll see a foyer full of people that we give free food to. We feed over 100 families a month with free food because we want to help people. And it's not saying uh, you should uh, hold back from helping people. It's saying that you should be encouraging those that are unruly, get back to work. Get back to work. Now listen, two times in this section Paul says, follow my example. And then he says this, and we set a model for you right? He says that. So here's the third exhortation he's given is have spiritual mentors and spiritual leaders in your life. That's important, church. 
Have people that you could follow them as they follow Christ. Why is that important? Because the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we're supposed to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see what that's saying? It's saying that as we get people around us that are serious Christians, that are godly, and maybe a little further down the road than we are spiritually, they could stimulate us to love and good deeds. What does that mean? They could be people that set an example for us and mentor us to live more for Christ. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another man. Remember how it worked for me, the guy that led me to Christ. I've talked, I talk about him often. It's part of my testimony. His name is Bruce Barkley. And he spent six months witnessing to me, and I finally turned the corner, finally bent my knee, I came to Christ. 1978, February. And after I came to Christ, you know what I did? <laughs> I, I just wanted to hang out with Bruce, and I did. I remember Bruce ended up getting a motorcycle, and guess what I did? I got a motorcycle. I, I, I kind of got a motorcycle because I had a need for speed and I like fast things. And I got it because I wanted it. But, but also I got a motorcycle because Bruce had a motorcycle. And so it gave me an opportunity to spend more time with him. We'd go up to Wisconsin from Chicago and we'd go on camping trips and rock climbing expeditions. And we would just hang out because as I spent time with Bruce, here's what happened. He became a mentor for me. became a model for me how to live out this Christian life. And I needed that. Then I remember Bruce started dating this girl named Jane Taylor. And she was on fire too. She came to Christ and Bruce and her were both on fire for Christ and stuff. And so I, I met Jane Taylor's younger sister, Barb Taylor. I said, yeah, when we started dating. And I, one of the reasons I, I like Barb is she became a Christian and she was on fire for Christ too. But I kinda, and she was pretty. But there's other reasons why I liked her. I liked her too because she was Jane Taylor's sister and it meant that well, we could double date, and I got more time with Bruce as my mentor. We did that for like a year. And then I got to college. I got involved with Baptist Student Union. Baptist Student Union was great. So they had this agape house on, on campus. But one of the reasons why I got involved with agape house and Baptist Student Union is because there was a guy named there, Harold Morgan, and he became my mentor. He was a guy in his 30s that loved Jesus, and he taught me how to live for Christ. And he actually guided me to seminary and helped me find the seminary where I went to, which was a great seminary, Fuller Seminary in Pasadena. And then I got involved in ministry. And at 24 years old, Heidi and I, we went to San Diego to start our first church, and I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And so I looked for some help, and I found a prayer group of pastors that were Calvary Chapel pastors. I wasn't a Calvary Chapel pastor yet. I found this prayer group of Calvary Chapel pastors. This guy was leading the prayer group. His name was John G. Hayward III. I liked the guy right away because he had my initials, John G. Hoppy III. And he took me under his wing. And he had been a pastor for a number of years before me, and he just mentored me, became a good, good friend. And then I started listening to Pastor Chuck on... This is a time gone by, but on cassettes. Some of you teenagers here go, what is a cassette? What is that all about? But it was cassettes back then, the tape library. And I listened to every single book in the Bible just about by Pastor Chuck. And he mentored me through cassettes on how to teach God's Word. Church, we need mentors. Every single Christian should have a Paul who's like a Paul to you like Timothy and someone who can mentor you and say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. And church, that's why it's so important 
You can involve in fellowship. Get beyond Sunday morning and get some friends that are on fire, passionate followers of Jesus Christ that they'll rub off on you and help you go further for Christ. As, 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 again, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another one. There's a power in fellowship. There's a power in godly friendship, and we need that in our lives. We need people that will help us and stimulate us. And another version says, spur us on to love and good deeds. And that's what Paul's talking about here with the Thessalonians. He said, we set an example for you. We set a model for you. And it's helped you live a successful Christian life. And that's our exhortation. Find mentors that'll help you. Well, no one's friendly at Calvary Chapel. No one wants to be my friend. You know what the Bible says? You want more friends? Prove yourself friendly. You gotta be, take some proactive initiative here. If you want some closer friends, be a friend to somebody and latch on to them and be a friend to them. And those that are friendly will find some friends. And then it goes on, verse 10, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. Approaching the subject again, for we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like what? Busybodies. I don't ever want to be called a busybody. It's like in the Old Testament, they, they talk about uh, you know, being a sluggard. That's the last thing I want someone to call me, sluggard. It just grosses me out even thinking about that. Sluggard. Busybody. And then it says, Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion, eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, don't grow weary of doing good. Here's Paul, is, again, broaching the subject. There's some people that weren't willing to work. Now, doesn't say they can't work. It's not talking about that someone that's disabled, someone that's lost their job, but it's not saying somebody that can't work. It's saying somebody that won't work. And it says, if someone won't work, don't let them eat. Why? Because if you're feeding them, you're enabling them in their laziness. And if someone refuses to work, let them get hungry, and then they'll get back to work. That's what Paul's saying there. Also, what he's saying there is if someone refuses to work, they could very likely become a busybody. You know what a busybody is? It's someone that gets in everybody's business but their own. And if you're not taking care of your own business, Paul says, you become a busybody because you're not taking care of your own business. You get in other people's business. So Paul says, no, no, no. Those people should li- go back to living a quiet work, quiet life, and get back to work. And, oh, I don't have a job. I don't have a job right now. The economy's tough, and I can't get a job. No, no, no. We live in the United States of America, church. If, if, you, if you get out there and you shake some bushes, you might not get the job you want. You get a job, though. I find that with our U-turn for Christ, and when they get in phase two and they need to start getting a job, their job is to get a job at that point, and they got to do 10 job applications a day until they get a job. And guess what? When they start getting out there and having to hustle to, get, to fill out 10 op- job applications a day, within a week, they, a lot of the times, guys get a job. So if you don't have a job, make it your job to get a job. Right? Amen? And if someone is trying to get you to pay their bills or whatever else and they have the ability to work and they won't work, don't, don't, don't enable that. And that could go with your family. And that's not just the church. That could go with your family too. Sometimes our family are those people that are trying to get us to pay their bills or something like that. And if they're refusing to work and they could work, we need to tell family members to get back to work. Don't enable that laziness. That's what it's talking about right there. But again, it's not saying uh, don't help people that can't work. If someone's in a position where they can't work, or if someone's in a crisis, or if someone's in a situation that's an emergency, hey, as Christians, let's help. Let's be a part of helping them 
but it's saying if they can, they can work and they won't work, tell them to get back to work. Amen? Amen? That's what it's talking about right here. So the fourth principle is work hard at what God, God's called you to do. Find what you're supposed to do and work hard. Now, why is this important to be hard workers? Because Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and then they too may glorify your Father in heaven. You see what that's saying? A part of our witness is our work. And if you want to be a good witness out in the world that's watching, you can't be a messenger of the gospel and have people listen to you if they're not seeing a work ethic in your life. That's part of, and listen, that's a part of the way we were created too. God is a worker. God spent six days working to create everything around us. And we're created in his image. And we're called to be creators too. People that find stuff to do and create and work. That's how we, and, and you say, well, the, the work started after the fall. That was a part of the curse. No, no, no. Genesis 2, verse 15 says, Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. That's before the fall. God had work for man to do. In Colossians 3, uh, uh, 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do your work what? Heartily. Heartily. Whatever you do. As to the Lord rather than for men. You know, ultimately what that's saying is our boss ultimately isn't that guy at work. Our boss is Jesus. And we're to do our work heartily because we're representing Christ in a world that's watching us. So let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good works. They too will glorify your Father. You know what? I think Christians should be the best workers out there. Christians should be the hardest workers out there. Christians should be the ones with the strongest work ethics. And then people are going to respect our message more as we show them how we can work hard and represent Christ in that way. Can I get an amen on that, church? Let's not be lazy Christians. Let's be out there working. And that's a part of our witness. And then Paul closes it up here in verse 14. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter... Take special note of that man. Don't associate with him so that he, might not be, that he may be put to shame. Yet do, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a what? Brother. The last thing that Paul's saying is if someone is li- living an unruly life, if someone is living a, uh, a disobedient life, if someone is a backslidden Christian who's saying, I'm a brother, but they're going back to the world, the flesh, and the devil. They're going back to living by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. They're going back to the garbage of the world, but they're calling themselves a brother. Paul says, disassociate with them. Don't have anything to do with them. Why? Because bad company corrupts good morals. And if someone is saying, praise the Lord on Sunday, and they're living like hell the rest of the week, break off from them. Why? Because they can influence you to get you to backslide and go back to the world too. It's a whole lot easier for someone to pull you down than you pull somebody up. Now that's not talking about someone you're witnessing to. There's a whole bunch of immoral people out there that we got to lead to Christ and we got to have association with and we have to have a relationship with. But someone that's saying, hey, I'm a brother in Christ, but they're living in immorality. They're living in, in just the lust of this world. Stay away from them because they can influence you. And again, the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals, right? We see that in our U-turn for Christ. Our U-turn for Christ, guys um, sometimes leave and they backslide. 
They go back to the drugs and the alcohol, whatever else. And Pastor Steve is very, very strong on this. Our U Turn for Christ pastor, he puts, he puts a barrier up there. If someone's out there in the world, you know, going back to that stuff, who's a part of U Turn, they left the program here and they're going back to the drugs and the world and this, whatever else, Pastor Steve, they can't have any association with anybody in U Turn until they get their life right. Why? Is he just being a self righteous, look down my nose? No, he's, he's protecting the sheep. And he's saying, we're going we're gonna to protect these guys, and until you get right, brother, you can't even talk to guys in U-turn because we don't want them pulled back through a negative association. But that principle is not just for U-turn, it's for us. We've got to be careful with our associations. We really, really do, especially our associations with Christians that are calling themselves Christians but living like the world because that could pull us into the world ourselves. We've got to be careful. You know what? I can tell you what you're going to be like in five to ten years from now. How are you going to be living five to ten years by who your best friends are right now? Your best friends, man, our best friends as Christians should be people that love Jesus. Our best friends should be people that have a passion like we do for Christ. Because as iron sharpens iron, we're going to sharpen each other. We're going to spur one another. We're going to stimulate one another as we guard our associations. Now, does that mean we don't have friendship with people out there that we're trying to lead to Christ? No. Have friendship with lost people so you can lead them to Christ. But guard yourself from Christians that are naming the name of Christ and being worldly. And also make your best friends people that love Christ as much or more than you do. I pray that for my kids. As all four of my kids went to a secular university. A great place, Clemson. But it was secular. And I remember going to one of my first football games there and, and, and watching the live football game with my kids and we're walking back to, you know, our car and stuff and there's people that are walking down the sidewalks and it looked like the sidewalk was moving for them. I mean, literally, people walking and it's like they had a hard time just staying on the sidewalk because they, they were so drunk. And then we went by this fraternity on the way back to the parking lot and the song is, I don't even know who sings this song, but the song is about cocaine and about loving cocaine. I'm going, what did I do sending my kids to this place? But you know what? I prayed for each one of my kids as they went through that college. I prayed, God, please, lead them to people that love Jesus as much or more than they do. And all four of my kids, that prayer was answered. All four of my kids got involved with a thing called FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And they got involved in Bible studies, found a good church up there, and got involved with church. They found some fellowship. And interesting. <laughs> all four of my kids married people that now love Jesus as much more than they do. And I'm loving it because there's a godliness in my kids' lives, all four kids, because they've found godly partners. And we need to be praying for that for our kids and the next generation, but we need to be guarding ourselves. Who are we closest in friendships with? Let's make it people that love Jesus. Amen? So let's close up our letters, 2 Thessalonians. It says this, Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you, notice, peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with, here's the southern and Paul, the Lord be with what? Y'all. The Lord be with y'all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. 
And this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. Now, what Paul's saying here is there's some fraudulent letters out there. Don't listen to those. There was actually a fraudulent letter probably that was saying, Paul wrote this, we're in the Great Tribulation. Paul said, no, no, don't believe that. He said that in the last chapter. But he said, I wrote this with my own letter with my own hand. What he's saying there is he probably dictated most of the letter to his secretary, but he closed up the letter, writing it with his own hand, his own signature, to verify the authority of this letter. And then he says, verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, again, be with you, y'all, two things. He starts with these two things, the letter, and he ends with these two things. Remember, he started the letter, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he ends this letter saying, and may God's peace be with you in every circumstance. The word peace there is inner serenity, a restfulness of soul, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. The word grace there is undeserved merit and favor. That's what God wants for every single Calvary Chapel person here. Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And you can have peace no matter what your circumstances are if you're connected with the Prince of Peace. How? By being anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So if you're in a storm, if you're in a battle right now, if there's a restlessness because of the circumstances, the promise of Scripture right here, you can have peace in every circumstance because you have the Prince of Peace to give you that peace. Just the Bible says, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And not only do we have peace, we got grace. <laughs> I love grace. I love grace. What's grace? Undeserved merit and favor. You know why I love grace? Because I need it. I need God's grace. And I'm covered by his grace. I've been saved by grace, but you know what else? I live by grace. I daily basis, I want God's grace. I need God's grace. You know why? Because I need his forgiveness and his mercy. I need him to cover me with the whole faithfulness of his forgiveness on a daily basis. And I also need his grace because there's people that wound me sometimes. There's people that hurt me. And there's a tendency in my heart to get bitter at people that hurt me. And what happens when I'm in God's grace is I'm enveloped in his grace to the point that if I'm forgiven that much by God, I'm going to forgive those that hurt me. And that love covers a multitude of sins. And his grace is so wonderful. Because it keeps you from being bitter, angry, uh, eh, kind of people. Because we live by Jesus' words that he told us to pray, Father, forgive us our debts as we, what? Forgive our debtors. Hmm. Be kind to one another, Christians. Tenderhearted. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ Jesus also has forgiven you. And may God's peace and may God's grace be with you in all your circumstances this week. May you be people that live out what we're learning here. May you be people, as we've seen in your word right here, that pray for others, especially those in spiritual leaders. May, leadership. May you be people that stay under God's faithful protection and strengthening by obedience and keeping yourself in the love of God. May you be people that, hey, have mentors in your life that you could follow and you could be spurred on by them and stimulated to live this life 
Find some people in your life that love Jesus more than you do, that could be around and help you. Maybe people, too, that work. Hey, don't forget about your witness being enhanced by your work. Be hard workers. Have an ethic, a work ethic, so people respect your message because they see that you work hard on whatever God's called you to do. And be people, too, as we've seen in this last principle, that guard your associations. Be careful who your friends are. Because bad company corrupts good morals, but good company stimulates to righteousness. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you that your word speaks to us on a daily basis. Thank you that your word is living and active and helps us to live out our lives in such a way that we bring glory to your name, God. And Father, I pray for these issues in our lives, these exhortations we've been given by your word this morning. Help us to be people that are praying for other people, especially those in spiritual leadership. Help us to be people that are obedient Christians, that are staying under your protection and your blessing, God, because we're choosing life and not death, blessing, not cursing. Help us to be people, too, that are people that are, have spiritual mentors in our life, friends that love Jesus, that can kind of rub off on us, Lord. Help us to work hard on whatever you called us to do too, Lord. And Lord, I pray too that we would be people that stay under your grace and mercy on a daily basis and just walk in that, Lord. And Father, I pray for people that might be here this morning that are in a storm. I pray, God, that they would just be running towards you, Lord. Not running away from you, but running towards you. And may you be their strong tower that the righteous run into, Lord. May you be their shepherd, that walks through the valleys that they might be going through right now, Lord. And I think specifically about a a couple that just called me before the first service this morning, and they're in a major, major, major storm just as of last night. Oh, heartbreaking. And Father, I pray for them right now. They're good friends of Heidi and both. I lift them up to your throne of grace right now, God. And I pray for grace and peace for them, for their family. I pray that you'd be the God of all comfort that helps them in this affliction they're in the midst of right now, Lord. Bless them and help them. I I lift them up to, again, your throne of grace, Lord. And I pray for anybody else here this morning that needs your strength and your protecting and your grace and your peace. Just unleash that on them here this morning, God. Pour it into their hearts. May you give them a peace that surpasses all human understanding that would guard their heart and their mind in Christ Jesus. And I pray for a special protection on all the believers here this morning too. A special strengthening, God, as they stay obedient to you, Lord, and they stay in your love. Pray that for myself too and for all the pastors and the leaders on our staff, Lord. Strengthen, protect, and give them a peace and a strength that's supernatural, Lord. Thank you for another Sunday in church, Lord. Another day we could direct ourselves into your love and your steadfastness, Christ. Thank you for another time in your word that you just speak to our hearts. Lord, just thank you for your presence, your power, and your glory. We pray these things now in Jesus' name.